You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to share your thoughts and insights into today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to do so with others who are reading and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 230. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 410 to 416. 410. On the morning of the next day, which corresponds to our Palm Sunday, the Lord proceeded with his disciples toward Jerusalem, being accompanied by many angels, who sang hymns of praise at seeing him so enamored of men and so solicitous for their eternal salvation. Having walked more or less of two miles and arrived in the village of Bethphage, he sent two disciples to an influential man of that neighborhood. From him they brought two beasts of burden, one of which had not yet been used or ridden by anyone. The Lord progressed on his way to Jerusalem, while they spread some of their cloaks and other garments, both upon the ass and her colt. The Lord was to make use of both of them according to the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah 62.11 and Zechariah 9.9, who had foretold these particulars many ages before, in order that the priests and scribes should not be able to allege ignorance as an excuse. All the four evangelists describe this wonderful triumph of Christ and relate what was seen by the bodily eyes of those present. As they proceeded on their way, the disciples, and with them all the people, the infants, as well as the grown persons, hailed Jesus as the true Messiah, the Son of David, the Savior of the world, and as their legitimate King. Some of them exclaimed, Peace be in heaven, and glory in the highest. Blessed be he that cometh as the King in the name of the Lord. Others, Hosanna to the Son of David, save us, Son of David. Blessed be the kingdom which now has arrived, the kingdom of our forefather David. Some others lopped branches from palms and other trees in sign of triumph and joy, and spread their garments upon the ground to prepare a way for the triumphant conqueror, Christ our Lord. 4.11 All these demonstrations of worship and admiration which these men gave to the divine and incarnate word were calculated to manifest the power of his divinity, especially at this time when the priests and Pharisees were watching him and seeking to put an end to his life in that very city. For if they had not been moved interiorly by a divine power above and beyond that of the admiration for the miracles wrought by him, 
it would have been impossible to draw such a gathering. Many of them were heathens and his declared enemies, who nevertheless hailed him as the true Messiah, Savior, and King, and subjected themselves to a poor, despised, and persecuted man, who came not in triumphal chariots or in the prancing of steeds and ostentation of riches, but without any show of arms or outward human power. Outwardly all this was wanting, as he thus entered, seated on a beast contemptible in the sight of human vanity and pretension. The only signs of his dignity were in his countenance, which showed forth the gravity and serene majesty of his soul, while all the rest fell apart short, and was opposed to what the world is wont to applaud and celebrate. Hence the outward happenings of this day proclaimed his divine power, which directly moved the hearts of men to acknowledge him as their Christ and Redeemer. 4.12 In order that the promise of the Eternal Father might be entirely fulfilled, he not only moved the hearts of men in the city of Jerusalem by his divine light to acknowledge him as Redeemer, but he caused his triumph to be felt among all creatures, especially those who were capable of reasoning. For the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was announced by the archangel Michael to the holy fathers and the prophets in limbo, and moreover by a special vision. They were made to see whatever happened on this occasion. From those cavernous abodes they acknowledged, confessed, and adored Christ our Lord and Master as their true God and as the Redeemer of the world. They composed new hymns of praise in honor of his admirable triumph over death, sin, and hell. The divine influence was also active in the hearts of many of those yet living in the world. For those that had faith and knowledge of Christ our Lord, not only in Palestine and its surroundings, but in Egypt and in other countries, were moved to adore the Redeemer in spirit. And this they did with unwanted joy, caused in them by the divine visitation of grace, although they did not expressly know the cause or the object of this movement in their hearts. But it came to them not without profit for their souls, for they were confirmed in their faith and in their well-doing. In order that the triumph of our Savior over death might be more glorious, the Most High ordained that on that day death should have no power over any of the mortals, so that although in the natural course many would have died, not one of the human race died within those twenty-four hours. 4.13 To this triumph over death was added the triumph over hell, which, though it was more hidden, was even more glorious. For as soon as the people began to proclaim and invoke Christ as their Savior and King, who came in the name of the Lord, the demons felt the power of the right hand of God, and all of them, in whatever place they lurked throughout the world, were hurled into the dark caverns of the infernal abyss. During the short space of time in which Christ proceeded on his triumphal march, not a demon remained upon the earth. But all of them were trembling with wrath and terror in the depths of hell. Hence, they began to be filled with a still greater dread, lest the Messiah be already in the world, and they immediately communicated their suspicions to each other, as I shall relate in the next chapter. The Savior proceeded on his triumphal way to the gates of Jerusalem, while the angels who witnessed and followed his march chanted new hymns of praise and glory in wonderful harmony. Having entered the city amid the jubilee of all its inhabitants, Jesus dismounted from the full and directed his divinely beautiful steps toward the temple, where he roused the admiration of all the multitudes of the wonders, which, according to the evangelists, he wrought on that occasion. Matthew 21.12, Luke 19.45 Burning with zeal for the house of the Father, he overthrew the tables of those 
that bought and sold within the sacred precincts and cast forth those who made it a place of business and a den of thieves. Yet with the triumphal march, the Lord suspended also the divine influence which had disposed so well the hearts of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Although the just had been much benefited and many others had been justified, others returned to their vices and imperfections because they did not profit by the light and inspiration sent to them from on high. Though so many had hailed and acknowledged Christ our Savior as King of Jerusalem, no one tendered him hospitality or received him in his house. Mark 11.11 The Lord remained in the temple teaching and preaching until nightfall, wishing by his own example to confirm his teaching in regard to the veneration and worship due to that place. He would not permit even a glass of water to be brought to him, and without having partaken either of this or any refreshment, he returned that evening to Bethany, Matthew twenty-one seventeen eighteen, whence he daily made his way to the city until the day of his passion. The heavenly mother and mistress, most holy Mary, remained that day in Bethany, where from her retirement she saw by a supernatural vision all that happened in the wonderful triumph of her son and master. She witnessed all the doings of the sovereign spirits of heaven and of the mortals upon earth, and what befell the demons in hell and how in all this the Eternal Father merely fulfilled the promises which he had made to his incarnate Son in giving him command and power over all his enemies. She saw also that the Savior did, on this occasion and in the temple, she heard the Heavenly Father's voice answering the prayer of Christ our Redeemer, I have glorified and will glorify again. By these words he gave men to understand that besides the glory and triumph conceded to the incarnate word on that day, and on other occasions as described in this history, he would glorify and exalt him after his death. For such was the meaning of the words of the Eternal Father in this scene. Also, it was understood and fully comprehended by the Most Blessed Mother in wonderful exaltation of her spirit. Instruction which the Most Blessed Mother gave me. 4.15 My daughter, thou hast partly described and hast understood much more concerning the mysterious triumph of my Most Holy Son on his entrance into Jerusalem and its preparations. But thou wilt understand much more of it when thou shalt come face to face with the Lord, for as pilgrims, mortals cannot penetrate into such secrets. Nevertheless, thou canst learn and understand enough from what thou hast written to perceive how exalted are the judgments of the Lord and how far removed from all the thoughts of men. Isaiah 55, 9. The Most High looks into the hearts of men and at the interior where is hidden the beauty of the king's daughter. Psalm forty-four fourteen. While men look only at the exterior and what is perceived by the senses, on this account the just and the chosen ones are highly esteemed by the Lord in their humiliation and self-abasement, while the proud are cast down and rejected by him in their self-sufficiency. This truth, my daughter, is understood by few, and therefore the children of darkness know not how to strive after any other honor or exaltation than that of the world. Sad to say, also the children of the church, although well-knowing and confessing that this worldly honor is vain and without substance, and that it does not have any more stability than the flowers of the herbs of the field, do not live up to this knowledge. As their conscience does not give them witness of faithful cooperation with the light of grace and the practice of virtue, they seek after the false and deceitful applause and commendation of men, whereas God alone can truly honor and exalt those who merit his regard. 
The world ordinarily and fraudulently misjudges true merit, lavishes its honors upon those who least deserve it, or upon those who know how to solicit and strive after it most cunningly and inconsiderately. 4.16. Fly from this deceit, my daughter, and let the praise of men make no impression upon thee. Repel its flatteries and compliments. Give to each the importance and consideration due to it, for the children of the world are very much blinded in their judgments. None of the mortals could ever merit the honor and applause of men, so much as my most holy son. Yet he readily yielded it up and judged at its true worth that which the people gave him at his entrance into Jerusalem. He permitted it merely in order that the divine power might be manifested, and in order that his passion might afterwards be so much the more ignominious. He wished to teach men that no one should accept honors for their own value, but in order that the higher end, that is, the glory of God and the exaltation of the Most High, might thereby be advanced, that without this object in view, they are altogether vain and useless, void of profit or advantage of any kind, for they can never procure the true happiness of a creature capable of eternal glory. Since I see thee desirous of knowing why I was not present at this triumph of my Most Holy Son, I shall fulfill thy desire and refer thee to what thou hast often related in this history about the clear vision of the interior of my son, which was always present to me. By this vision I was enabled to perceive when and why he wished me to absent myself from him. On such occasions I would throw myself at his feet, beseeching him to declare his will and pleasure in regard to what I should do. Then the Lord would sometimes give his orders plainly, and then express commands. At others he would leave it to my own discretion and choice, permitting me to act according to my prudence and divine enlightenment. This was the course he pursued at the time, when he resolved to enter in triumph the gates of Jerusalem. He left it altogether to my own judgment, whether I should accompany him or remain in Bethany. Thereupon I asked his permission to absent myself from this mysterious event, begging him to take me with him to his passion and death. I thought it more befitting and more pleasing in his eyes to offer myself as participant to the ignominies and sorrows of his passion than to share in the outward honor given to him by men. For, as I was his mother, some of this honor would certainly have devolved upon me if I had shown myself to those who were praising and blessing him. I knew that this triumph, beside its not being desired by me, was ordained by the Lord for the manifestation of his infinite power and divinity, and therefore in no wise pertained to me nor would the honor which they would have extended to me augment that which was due to him as the savior of the human race. At the same time, in order that I might properly rejoice in this mystery and duly glorify the Almighty for these wonders, I was made to see by divine enlightenment and special vision all that thou hast already written concerning this event. This behavior should instruct thee and teach thee to imitate me. Follow thou my humble footsteps, withdraw thy affections from all that is earthly, Lift thy aspirations on high, despising and fleeing all human honors and divine enlightenment, esteeming them as vanity of vanities and affliction of spirit. This concludes our reading today for day number 230. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 7, paragraphs 410 to 416. The reading we heard today begins our Palm Sunday, just as we know of that great celebration that we have during Holy Week. It commences that week that changed the world in which Jesus dies on the cross and gives us the Holy Eucharist the night before. And we sing hymns on that day. We raise our palm branches and 
we heard how those events unfolded today. One of the interesting tidbits of this story, I'm not sure if it's in the Gospels, but here it is in our reading today, is that the donkeys that they bring, the one has never had a person ride on it. So that donkey has had one mission, and that mission was to be a place on which the Savior of the world, the Son of God, would ride, that he would make use of this donkey. Just think about the purpose of that donkey, and then translate that to you, that you are uniquely made by God in his image and likeness, and that you, like that donkey, have a particular mission as well. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we heard also that St. Michael announces to those who are in that place of waiting, or as she calls it, limbo, of what is happening. And so they're almost getting this play-by-play. They know that the Messiah has been born, and now they know that the final act, really, of his life is going to transpire in the next week. And so that gives them great hope because they know that at the end of what happens, that they will be in that place, that promised land, the true promised land of heaven. Bethany is really close to Jerusalem and never really thought that Jesus went to Bethany after his triumph during his Palm Sunday procession. It makes sense. He's friends with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So their home becomes his new home base. And then in our instruction by the Blessed Mother, she does well, like she always does, to encourage us to live virtuously. Fly from deceit, my daughter, and let the praise of men make no impression upon thee. Repel its flatteries and compliments. Or at the very end, this behavior should instruct thee and teach thee to imitate me, to follow In my footsteps, withdraw thy affections from all that is earthly, lift thy aspirations on high, despising and fleeing all human honors and in divine enlightenment, esteeming them as vanity of vanities. She's encouraging us to look at her example and to say this is the way that the most perfect follower of Jesus lived. And as a follower of Christ, it's how I want you to live too. It's how Jesus wants you to live. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.